Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my guest is Rudy Sachet, and uh, Rudy and his wife, Jill, are anchoring consultants. And our topic today is the basics of anchoring. So we can start to get those of you who plan to anchor along the way on the Great Loop some information and get you kind of thinking about what else you need to learn if you haven't anchored frequently before. Uh, before we jump into the conversation, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And uh, Rudy Sachet is also one of our uh, sponsors as anchoring consultants. So, Rudy, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure to talk with you and the Loopers. Uh, let's start. Um, you have a book on anchoring called The Ground Tackler's Apprentice. Um, tell us what kind of experiences you've had and what led you to write that book. Well, we recognize that there's large critical gaps in the various books on anchoring. We wrote this book to fill those gaps. In addition, the book covers such topics as how to determine the load on your ground tackle, how to size all the gear in your ground tackle, not just your anchor, plus much more. And there is, you know, anchoring um, for the Great Loop may be a little bit different than if you're anchoring, say, in the same kind of area on a regular basis. Um, and we get a lot of questions, actually, about the the ground tackle that you need. But let's kind of start with uh, the anchors themselves. I get asked all the time, how many anchors do you need for the Great Loop and what types should you have? So let's start with that question. How many should people carry aboard for their Great Loop trip? That's a great question. Uh, the minimum would be one but it's better to have at least two. However, it's important that each of these anchors are sized to hold the boat in the highest wind speeds that can be encountered. Uh, that could be up to 60 knots and higher if you include gusts. So, the, uh, the, go, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, the other critical issue about the anchors is their design. There's four types of bottoms that can be encountered on the loop. Sand, mud, weeds, and what we call flat rock. If the anchors are chosen to work in these seabeds, seldom will it be a problem anchoring any other type of bottom. For sand, just about any of the general purpose anchors will work in sand. But again, they must be sized appropriately for the highest wind speeds encountered. If the anchor works in sand, it will also work in mud, but it must be one or two sizes larger than an anchor chosen only for sand. It's always best to size your anchor for the softest bottom you'll be anchoring in. Then there's weeds, and there's only one anchor that is reliable in weeds, and that's the fisherman anchor. It's also known as a traditional anchor, a luke anchor, or a yachtsman. Those that carry a big enough fisherman anchor find their choices of anchorages greatly expanded, something that becomes handy if your preferred anchor would be filled. As far as the bottoms, consisting of flat rock or flat coral, 
<clears throat> There's no reliable way to anchor on these seabeds. If you choose to do so, you should plan to go elsewhere to a place that has better holding once the wind exceeds 15 knots. So you can see in reality, you may need more than just a minimum of three anchors. Two for sand and mud, one or more, better yet two for weaves. So one of the things that's a little bit difficult for us to convey without um, some visuals here is that the, you do provide on your website some load tables to help figure out um, what, what types of what size anchors you need for different wind speeds and the size of your boat. So since it is de dependent on a few different factors, that's a little bit hard to go through those here. Um, but tell us where we can find those tables if we visit your website. If you go to our website, anchoringconsultants.com, you'll find that you can download a uh, load table and a horn signal chart uh, that you can print out. Hopefully you'll um, laminate them and keep them on your boat. You use the load table to determine the loads on your ground tackle, which then determines the size and workload limits of all the gear in your ground tackle. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the anchor, um, what other ground tackle do loopers need? Well, you're going to need a large diameter nylon rope to use as a snubber or a bridle, uh, lightweight, large enough kedge anchor such as Fortress XS, FX series is uh, often useful, especially if you run aground. Anchor and road for the dinghy. Uh, we recommend a 30 to 40 foot half inch or 5 inch, 5 eighths inch docking lines, one for each crew member. Uh, so you can throw these lines to the dock to get help when you're trying to come into a slip. Something that is often useful is a 3 foot length of about 5 sixteenths inch chain. It's used to recover fouled anchors. To use this chain, just encircle the road with it. That has and bring your road up and down so it's somewhat taut. Uh, secure the ends of the chain together, attach a hefty tag line, and slide the chain down the road and over the anchor shank. Once in position, you can use this then to pull the anchor out backwards. Something we carry and we find quite useful also is a three to one tackle. And explain that to us. Um for, for the three-to-one tackle, you found that helpful in what situations? Uh, quite often, uh, one very simple uh, example is when the wind's blowing on the beam of the boat, you're in a slip and you can't pull the boat in close enough, just don't have the muscle power to pull it in close enough to climb aboard or to get off. Uh, you can attach one of these blocking tackles to, say, it dock line and pull the boat in very easily. Uh, it's useful for loading things on and off if you have a boom, uh, getting heavy uh, ground tack anchors back on board or uh, deployed, uh, uh, among other purposes. Okay. Um, a, a question that also comes up often is uh, related to scope. Um, so when you're setting an anchor, how much scope do you need? Yeah, this is a very misunderstood topic, and it's an excellent question. As the wind picks up, loopers should rely on a scope of 10 to 1, maybe even more. Because of this, 
it also dictates how much road to carry on each anchor. Uh, you should have enough road for each anchor to equal scope of at least 10 to 1 in the deepest water that you may anchor in. For the loop, 25 to 30 feet is a good depth to plan on for those times when shallow, shallower water is not available. Now, all these roads do not need to be in one uninterrupted length. They can be made up of shorter lengths, which are then joined together when needed. Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you should calculate the scope for a given situation. So you've got the water depth you also need um, to calculate for, make some accommodations for the size of your boat, correct? Or the, the freeboard? Yeah, there are six factors you need to consider. The ones mm -hmm. everybody told about is the depth of the water, the height of your freeboard or up to your bow roller, and then any additional height of tide that may occur. As the weather worsens, you also need to consider depth of the anchor berries, the height of the storm surge, and the height of any waves that may occur in the anchorage. Mm -hmm. You add those together, multiply it by whichever a number you want to choose for scope, and in bad weather, uh, you want to use 10 to 1. Okay. And you mentioned, because in, in some cases that can equal quite uh, many feet of road, so you mentioned that does not have to be all one length. What's the best way to uh, join those together if you are going to need perhaps the full amount of road that you've carried that, for that particular trip? Well, there's a variety of knots you can use to join rope together. And for chain, uh, the most common way is just to use shackles to, to join them together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's no particular um, knot that you find that works best to join those the road together? No, we, we really don't. Uh, any mm -hmm. knot that works is better than no knot at all. Okay. And there's several, several that you can use. I would recommend you just peruse a book on knots and find one or two that you're comfortable learning and using those. Mm -hmm. Now, you also mentioned chain, of course. How much chain should you have? Well, our position is chain is necessary only if a concern about chafe is present. Then it's best probably to have the entire road as chain. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, large diameter nylon rope works very well. It's less expensive, it's easier on the hands and the boat, and can be made more flexible in its use as chain can be. Okay. In the unlikely event that you have a windlass that cannot work with rope, then you're kind of stuck with using all chain. Mm -hmm. But we don't... We don't subscribe to the theory that you have to have chain unless there's chafe present. Hmm, okay, good to know. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and ha play an ad from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about uh, different anchoring techniques that you might need for the Great Loop. We'll be back in a moment. Thank you. Northport Bay Boatyard is a complete marine service facility located on Grand Traverse Bay in Northport, Michigan. They feature over 85,000 square feet of heated storage, and they are offering loopers a 10% discount on heated storage, as well as a winter labor rate of $75. That's a $10 discount off their usual rate. For more information, visit www.npbby.com or call 
386-5151. Northport Bay Boatyard is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Rudy Sachet, and Rudy and his wife Jill are anchoring consultants, and we thank them for their sponsorship of AGLCA. Um, let's move to talking about anchoring techniques themselves for, for you know beginners who have really not done much anchoring. Uh, what is the typical anchoring technique that you would recommend? Typically, when you go to anchor, you'll head up into the wind of current. You'll stop your forward momentum. As sternway is gained, you'll lower the anchor. You drop back to a scope of about four to one and set the anchor. You'll use less scope in a soft bottom and more scope if the bottom is hard. Once the anchor is set, you'll deploy whatever scope that you feel is appropriate for this, not only just the present, but for the future also. Once your scope is deployed, back down on the anchor and make sure it stays set. Install a snubber or a bridle hang your day shape, and at night turn your anchor light on. It's often quite helpful, though, before you even begin to anchor, to sound around the projected swing radius your boat might have, checking for adequate depth for obstruction should the wind or current change direction. And that's very good advice, too. And uh, that's also a question we get frequently, um, particularly as it pertains to uh, tidal areas where, uh, as we know, in the the southeast Georgia and South Carolina, um, those sections of the loop, you can have a seven, eight, or even nine-foot change in the water depth between high and low tide. So how do you, what what kind of differences are are present in what you need to look out for and how you anchor when you can expect that kind of change in tide? In any tidal area, there's two concerns. The first, or one of them, is you must account for the additional tide when you're uh, calculating scope. Uh, The second issue you need to be concerned about is that you have enough water under your keel when the tide goes out so you don't lay aground. If um, the possibility exists that you're going to swing into an area that's too shallow, you may want to consider setting, moving to a different location or setting out a second anchor to prevent your boat from swinging into that area. So in general, though, because I also get asked this a lot, you know, should you plan to drop a second anchor, anchor in most circumstances to avoid the swing? In most cases, um, would you say that that's really not necessary, that swinging is fine on the anchor and is normal and what's expected as long as you've made sure that there is adequate depth? Is that true? Yes, as long as you're not going to swing into dangers, obstructions, or shallow water, uh, second anchor usually isn't necessary. But a second anchor can also be used to keep your boat oriented into the wind or the current or seas to make it a little more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and we've kind of, you know, we've just been talking about swing. Um, tell us a little bit, give us some tips for etiquette when we are at anchor. How much room do you need to leave for other boats? Um, of course, they're going to be swinging at the same time as you, but um, how much room should you give them? Uh, and what other tips do you have so we can make sure that we're on our best behavior at Anchorage? Well, the, the first boat in has the right and the obligation to anchor in whatever way they deem is necessary. Any boat that follows after them must not foul that boat or their swing area. Uh, 
you have to also realize that if the weather worsens, that first boat in may want to let out more road, and you have to allow for that. If you're the second boat in or you follow in another boat and it ends up that you're following that boat or his anchorage, you must, you're the one that's responsible for taking the appropriate action, even if it means pulling your anchor up and moving somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Okay, good information. What else? I often get asked, you know, is it, um, should you run your gen set? Of course, you may want to at anchor, but is that uh, going to bother your neighbors in the anchorage? Historically, and it's very appropriate even today, noise in an anchorage was frowned upon after 8 p.m. at night and before 8 in the morning. Those reliant on things that make noise, like generators and wind generators, must acknowledge that their comforts and conveniences should not intrude on somebody else's right to an annoyance-free anchorage. Mm -hmm. It's often a contentious subject, a lot of people think just because they have it, they have the right to use it. Uh, but, you know, noise also pertains to other uh, things like radios, barking dogs, noisy kids. You know, it's very important uh, on the water, especially in quiet night anchorages where the wind dies and there's no other noise, that sound travels a great deal. And what's giving you your convenience or your your comforts uh, may be quite annoying to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So your recommendation then is, is to not use um, the genset or other things that may make a lot of noise from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m.? Is that what you said were the typical hours? Yeah. Um, our position is if the noise can be heard off the boat, it shouldn't be done. Okay. And and loopers typically like to be courteous. So that's that's why I get asked that question a lot. Um, people certainly don't want to annoy or aggravate their neighbors. Any other tips for etiquette while you're at anchor? Uh, I think it's reasonable if anybody's having a, a, a difficulty with another boat to go over and politely discuss it with them and ask that maybe the that the whatever is bothering them be be uh, stopped. Uh, you'll find some people quite accommodating to the request. You'll find other people take offense at it. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't have the right to ask. Mm-hmm. And uh, another question: What is your favorite resource for finding anchorages? There's lots of uh, resources and tools and apps available these days to to find anchorages um, and, of course, charts. What do you typically use um, as a way to select an anchorage? First thing we always do is look at our charts. Um, We we, we can use guides uh, like Skipper Bob or the Waterway Guides. Uh, Active Captain uh, Waterway Guide also has an an online uh, app that you can use. But for us, we just about always rely on the chart. We pick the spot. Uh, If we do go to a guide or an app, we'll um, we'll only use that to see if there's a reason not to use the anchorage. Mm -hmm. And tell us just, um, this is probably a loaded question, but uh, what is the best thing about anchoring? Why is it that you choose to anchor more frequently than pull into a marina? Generally speaking, it's quieter. For us, it's safer. 
the worse the weather gets, the uh, more likely we are to anchor. Uh, we stay away from other boats. We stay away from pilings. Stay away from shoals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all predicated on the fact that your gear is capable of handling the conditions that develop. Right. Not only that, but you you get to see so many things about nature that you wouldn't necessarily see in a marina. Right. Very true. There's nothing nothing quite as peaceful, I think, as being in a quiet anchorage overnight. So thank you for sharing some of those tips with us. Any final thoughts or other tips that maybe I didn't ask about that you'd like to share before we wrap up? No, but we're more than glad to answer any questions any of the loopers have. All they have to do is call us, email us, or uh, get to our uh, website, anchoringconsultants.com, to see if there's uh, any information there that can help them. Yeah, and there is, uh, Rudy and Jill have done a great job of putting lots of information um, that you need and can access via their website, so I highly encourage you to visit that. Um, They've also been great about posting some tips in the discussion forum on the greatloop.org website, so we thank you for contributing to the forum in that way as well. Um, Again, anchoringconsultants.com, lots of resources there, and you can also see from there how to contact Rudy and Jill if you have additional questions. Rudy, thanks for your time today. I appreciate you joining me. Oh, thank you. It's been our pleasure. And thank you to our listeners as well. We appreciate you joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Thank you.